Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Elisa DiNapoli, a holistic life coach who helps people with creativity, overcoming performance anxiety, getting into the right mindset and working on their mental health and personal development. Elisa's like me and that she's got about 735 different things that she's working on at any given time. She's got a book. She's had a podcast. She's a musician with a dozen albums and more on the way. So we're talking about all of that good stuff. We're talking about how you can get yourself in the right mindset, whether you've got a public speaking performance of some kind coming up. Maybe it's like me. You've got a work presentation on a topic that you're not super well-versed in, and you want to kind of get rid of that negative mindset and accomplish what you're trying to do. So stage fright, that's a thing of the past. We're also talking about Elisa's career as a musician, some of the things she's learned along the way around both writing music and promoting it, which is always probably the hardest thing I would say for anyone to do is promoting themselves, talking about themselves, unless you're super self-centered and then it comes across easily. But you really got to be more selfish with reaching out and sharing your creative work with other people because that's the best way for people to learn about it. I wrote a book eight or nine months ago, whatever the math is. And I still tell people, I I feel like I promote that book to death. It's called Kind But Kind of Weird, Short Stories on Life's Relationships. And yet, I'll still bring it up to people. And they're like, oh, you wrote a book? And I say, where have you been for the past nine months? We've had discussions about this. We just got to hammer it in again and again. So you tell me, if you haven't shared what you're working with with someone, tell me, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. And as a bonus, while you're listening to this episode, head on over to elisadinapoli.com slash goodpeople and get a free book that she has given just for you listening right now. You get a free book. I mean, what, what magic is that? My book is not free. Elisa's is free. So if you only have to get one, get Elisa's. If you can get two, why not get both of them? I mean, it's reading. It's great. It's wonderful. Just like this conversation with Elisa. Give us your name and your elevator pitch and the type of elevator that we're riding on. Sure. So my name is Lisa DiNapoli, and um, I'm a mindset coach. Uh, I'm also an author and a, a musician, and I help uh, artists um, command the stage, uh, magnify their presence, um, defeat stage nerves, so that they can uh, be at ease, more confident, and actually let the music uh or if it's not music perhaps it might be um a play or something they are, they are delivering on stage they can allow that to come through and, and shine through without the ego getting in the way i think like you know a, a musician and, and artists are kind of terms i think everyone's familiar with but mindset coach might be new to some people so is that i guess a two-part question kind of how do you help people with that and is that was like being in the right mindset and overcoming these fears, is that something that you've always just been really good at? Or did you kind of have to learn how to do that too? Yeah, good question. I I definitely am learning still. That's why I do the job I do, because I believe that we teach uh, the best what we need to learn. So um, 
you've you've got to uh, learn something if you want to teach it. And so it's kind of like um, I'm helping other people, but I'm also helping myself while I do that. Because um, a mindset coach basically is someone who specializes in mindset. And that is actually one of the most important things in life, I think, to be able to really um, face any situation uh, in the best possible way. Uh, And I personally use a lot of guided visualization um, techniques and not only um, what is used, uh, what is usually known as a hypnosis, hypnotherapist, uh, uh, hypnotherapy. I've been a hypnotherapist for a long time. Um, But I kind of changed my um, title to mindset coach just because there's a lot of weight. um, There's a lot of misconceptions around hypnosis and I kind of got sick of it. You know, I got sick of this sort of idea of magic or the devil's work or whatever, you know, this ultra positive, ultra negative ideas. Whereas actually um, hypnosis is all about uh, being in an optimal state of um, uh, where you can learn. And and that is a state of focus, um, inward focus and relaxation, and a place where you can um, access subconscious uh, mind, so to speak, even though there is no such thing as an actual subconscious mind you know, place that is the subconscious mind, more like a concept to understand uh, what's going on underneath the surface. So um, to answer your question uh, about uh, my struggle, yes, I totally struggled with it, with my mindset, and uh, I still sometimes struggle with it uh, because I tend to be quite negative and kind of go into the, uh, a place where that doesn't help me. So in order to be healthy, uh, I need to work on it, and uh, and yeah. So I have suffered a lot from um, anxiety when I was younger, and performance anxiety, you know, on stage, and I just hated performing. And so I've had to really um, learn a lot to get to where I am. That's a nice kind of jumping off point to dive into some of that because I think a lot of us have at some point in our lives experienced stressful situations. I would hope so. If not. I'd I'd love to have that life where there's no stress ever. Uh, or you know you're you're anxious about something, whether it's a musical performance or maybe a presentation at work. I know I've got one of those tomorrow. I this episode will come out after I do that, so let's say it went really well uh, and there was no issue at all with it. I'm sure it'll be flawless, uh, and you know especially on a topic I know a lot about. Um, but you know you fake it until you make it. Works out. It works out well. Mm-hmm. So as you've if, evolved in your career and and worked with people have you found some i I like kind of like the way that you phrase it of mind hacks uh what are some of those mind hacks to achieve ongoing success well um first of all you have to understand how the mind actually works and um the most important thing to remember is that whatever you say to yourself or otherwise um gets translated immediately into pictures in your mind so that you then uh, visualize these pictures, whether you like it or not, and that will elicit a feeling. And then that feeling will manifest somatically. And then that will create an experience. And then that will feed back on the thoughts uh, that they, cre- they create um, the self-talk. So it's a, it's a feedback loop. Um, so when you say something like, 
oh, I don't want to be nervous. I don't want to botch it up. I don't want to be rejected. You know, I don't want them to think I'm a failure. All of these signs that you're saying these words, you are actually picturing these situations in your mind. You're like rehearsing them in your mind. You're seeing yourself botching it up and getting nervous and people laughing at you or whatever it is, the negative uh, stuff that you're saying to yourself gets translating to these images and immediately you feel terrible it's like nervous and and, and you, you feel it in your body and then that gets, gets translated into um perhaps you, your your hands tremble perhaps you know your your throat gets parched and perhaps you all these symptoms that then make you look like you're nervous because you are and then of course when there's anxiety uh, coming in the way of you and and the uh, interview or performance, um, you then the, the the flow of information, whether that's you know what you do for you know what what you could do for this company or whether it's music, gets uh, interrupted and you lose the thread and you don't know what you're talking about and and basically you botch it up. <laughs> and so then you have a terrible time and then you think, oh, see, I was right. I was going to botch it up. I said I was going to botch it up and I botched it up. So um, one mind hack then is to always, 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 the most important one is to always imagine what you want, not what you don't. Super important. Because if I said to you, hey, um, don't think about um, running after an ambulance on a hill um, the ambulance is on fire. Don't think about the ambulance being on fire. Don't think about running after it. It's like, what are you thinking about? That's immediately you think about that. And that's because the word don't, it's not uh, an actual object. You know, it's in relation to an object, in this case, the ambulance, uh, imagining the ambulance. So you can't imagine a, a negation. You can only imagine something that is real. Um, so therefore, imagine what you want not what you don't. That's the most important mind hack, I would say, to remember. For the topic of stage fright in particular, because I think, I, I know I've said this on this podcast before, but Jerry Seinfeld has a classic joke where it's the number one public, or the number one fear of uh, Americans, I think, was public speaking, and the number two was death. And he's like, that means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. And... <laughs> I think that's probably true of a lot of people. I know anytime I have to give a public speech, even though I like to think I'm a good conversationalist. I mean, I've talked to about 125 people for this podcast. Like, I clearly have at least some sort of rapport and confidence when talking with people. But if you put me up in a stage in front of people, it's all, all of a sudden it's different. And I think that's, it's pretty common for a lot of people. So is that, I, I assume that's part of it for, Oh, trying to overcome that stage fright is to to visualize it being successful and not, you know, not imagining an ambulance on fire coming across the stage <laughs> while you're speaking. So is I think you have like some good good secrets to kind of overcoming stage fright. So let's let's spill those secrets. Sure, sure. I mean the thing is that um yes, one uh, way to absolutely set yourself up for success is positive mental rehearsal, which is what we're talking about here, um, which will counteract negative mental rehearsal, which is basically what people do when they worry. They imagine the negative, they imagine everything was going wrong. So imagining every, everything going your way is a way to set yourself up 
for success. Now, it doesn't mean that you're lying because sometimes people think, oh, I'm lying. This is not true. And it's the reality is that this isn't about whether something is true or not true. This is about um, thinking about and visualizing what's helpful, right? What would move the needle the most? What would what would be most helpful if you embraced it? And if you're thinking, I am a master, I am great, um, I am going to completely, you know, I have so much fun. You are basically giving your um, your mind a message. You're saying to your mind, this is where we're going. This is what we want. We might not be here now, but this is what we want, okay? And the mind is like, you know, um, you are the master of your mind. Consciously, you're saying this to yourself. You're imagining it. So you're directing your subconscious to get there. So if you imagine your subconscious being like a, a ship, with a uh, little, uh, you know, the crew on the ship, they are all doing your bidding. But you need to tell the crew where we're we going. Are we going to disaster island, island, or are we going to, you know, happiness island, mastery island? Is that where we're going? Because the mind will get you there no matter what, you know. But you are have to decide where we're going. So that's important. Now, on the other hand, there's some things can get in the way of this, right? Um, and I think it's important to understand uh, why we get um, performance anxiety in the first place. Because I think a lot of the time it's, it's all a big fog and we don't understand why we get it. And if we understand why we get it, then, then the secrets become, start making sense. So the first, um, the first thing to say is that it is normal to feel anxiety when public speaking. Why is that? Because... Uh, evolutionarily speaking, if you, um, you know, think about when we were back in the day living in tribes, okay, and you were expelled uh, from a tribe, a group, you might die. It was just really as simple as that. We are social animals and we thrive uh, when we are in a group that accepts us, we support each other, and, and that's why, you know, we, we got as humans to where we are. Alone, there's very little we can really do. So it is normal to feel this fear of rejection, which is basically what this anxiety is. It's like a fear of rejection. Whereas it is normal to have a little bit of it, when you have a lot of it, that's when we need to start thinking, okay, we need to do something about this because this is stopping me from actually getting to where I want to be, being successful, speaker, musician, whatever it is that you are. Now, why do we get this excessive anxiety where's this coming from and um my um theory at the moment you know what i have discovered after studying this subject for quite a long time is there's a couple of reasons one is negative conditioning so negative conditioning means basically experiences that have taught us that being on stage being seen in any way um is dangerous it is dangerous, you know, it is a threat. And this could be, you know, doesn't have to be a, a big trauma. It could be just as simple as uh, you're at school and everybody's laughing at you because you said something wrong. And that becomes, you know, as a kid becomes a big deal. It's a big deal. It's like, oh, God, I'm not funny. Oh, I don't know what I'm saying. You, you start saying to yourself immediately, this happened because I'm not good enough, basically. So that's negative conditioning. And that can only really um, be um, changed 
well, there's many ways of changing it, but the, best, the fastest way is with hypnosis, really, that I found. Um, the other ways that reinforce, uh, well, that help you um, get over the negative conditioning is are basically experiences of positive conditioning. So experiences where you have a performance of some kind, an interview of some kind, and you really nail it. You're amazing. Everybody's like clapping and you're like, oh, actually, yeah. I'm not so bad. And so that's that's positive conditioning, right? But the good thing is that you can do that in hypnosis by visualizing that sort of thing. Um, caveat, if there is trauma that is really intense, you know, if, if there is multiple experiences where you've you've um, been, you've experienced uh, public speaking or performance as uh, a threat, then we need to work on the trauma as well. So it's not enough to just do positive reinforcement. Um, the other cause for excessive anxiety is what I was saying, talking about before, is the negative mental rehearsal, which is basically worry, imagining all, all that could go wrong. So if you put these two together, you get huge fear of rejection. And what happens then is that in the moment when you're put on the spot, like you said, you know, oh, you know, it's all well and good when I'm doing my podcast, but then I go on stage and boom, I don't know, it's a totally different thing. What I'm, I don't know if this is what happened to you, but I've, a lot of people experience the fight or flight response. So it's like in that moment, you're not rational. You're talking to yourself in a positive way. It doesn't work because your heart is pumping, you're sweating, you can't think straight, you know. So if you're in that, state in the fight or flight state well you cannot use these techniques just yet there is something you need to do first and what you need to do is switch off the fight or flight response now excuse me for this long-winded answer but it's kind of a long subject <laughs> a complicated subject basically there are ways to switch off the fight or flight response and these are the what i call the secrets right uh, they're not really a secret, but you know, a lot of people don't know them. But they're very simple. So um, before I tell you what they are, just to understand why they work, I always like to explain why does something work. Um, so in the fight or flight response, what's happening is that your amygdala, which is the um, uh, alarm center of the brain, gets switched on. It's like an alarm going off, going danger, danger. In that moment we experience um, a variety of symptoms. So we've got adrenaline and, and cortisol, uh, the stress hormone are getting pumped into our body. We're getting ready to fight the enemy or run away from the enemy and or the threat. And then um, we, we need to use this energy in some way, right? And after we use the energy, if we do use the energy, like we would if we were running away from an actual threat, like a lion or, or, or someone who's trying to attack us or something like that, then we the alarm center would basically switch off and we go into a state of relaxation. Okay, now the danger is over and now I can relax. So this corresponds to sympathetic nervous system, which is what gets activated when you're in the fight or flight response. And the parasympathetic nervous system gets activated when you're relaxing, when it's all over. So the trick is you want to switch on the parasympathetic nervous system because when you do, the sympathetic gets switched off. It's like it's like a double switch. You know, you can't have one on and the other on. Either one is on or the other is on. 
to the fastest ways to switch on the parasympathetic nervous system. So how do you do that? Two ways. First way, this one is about um, tricking the uh, amygdala, the, the alarm center, to think that the danger is over. Now, in the wild, if you were actually getting attacked by somebody or an animal, the danger would be over when you either kill this person or this animal, or you know, maybe not killed, but make sure they don't know they can't harm you, or you've run away, right? So, in doing that, you have ex you have used that energy, you've used the cor the cortisol, the adrenaline, you've used all of that, and that's the clue. So, how would you do that? Well, you would use um, you would be in aerobic exercise. Right, you would be doing what we call aerobic exercise. So you wouldn't call it that, but you'd be running, you'd be fighting. That's what would be what would happen. So one way of tricking the alarm system to as to, to stop being on is to do aerobic exercise. So that means you know you could uh, run up and down the stairs, you could do jumping jacks, you could dance to your favorite tune, but you need to do it for long enough that your heartbeat is up, right? And you're basically uh, giving that message to your body. Okay, we are, we are fighting, we are running, we are using this energy, right? So that's number one. Aerobic exercise for a cup, you know, five minutes, enough for your heart rate to go up. And the second one um, is, and you can do this either instead of, but even better after the aerobic exercise. The second one is diaphragmatic breathing. Diaphragmatic breathing is when you have your mouth closed, you breathe through the belly, say, for example, for the count of four, so you nice deep breath, you hold just for a couple of seconds, and then you breathe out through your nose only for a count of eight or longer. Now, the numbers don't, aren't that important, but what they mean is that you're breathing out for longer than you breathe in, and you take a deep, deep breath. And you need to do this for five minutes. If you do it for less than that, it's not really going to work because it takes time to, um, to, to switch on the parasympathetic nervous system. And by the way, this is uh, also the same method that you use to stop panic attack. Okay. So those are the two most important things. Once you've done that, okay, then at this point, you are ready to get grounded and to um, imagine that your feet are rooted into the ground, you're standing up straight, you're standing in the kind of position that a master would stand in, okay? Someone who feels relaxed, feels confident. You perhaps have, you know, you can imagine that your feet are like the roots of a tree going into the ground. You relax your shoulders, you open your chest, stand at full height. You then can imagine a globe around you, a globe of power. Imagine that you are filling in this globe with your mana, if you like, your, your, your inner power, your module, if you like, your spirit, whatever you want to call it. And you just visualize this. And while you visualize this, now you can use the positive mental rehearsal. So using affirmations, I'm a master, I'm great, I can do this, I own this space, I'm going to have fun. You know, whatever you really connect to, the calmer I am, the, the better I'm going to enjoy the show, whatever it might be, you know, I got this, 
um, I deserve to be here, all of these kind of affirmations. And by the way, there's a way to get the affirmations right, but that's it for another question. And so these are the three step. This is the three step process: releasing the tension with a with the um, aerobic exercise, diaphragmatic breathing, get grounded, and use the affirmations. I need to get a public speaking event now so I can put this all in to practice. Beyond being a coach for people, you've also got a book and a podcast and a course and all all these other things that are all kind of under the dare to be seen theme, which I think uh, when when people are kind of branching out the different offerings that they have as a business, I think sometimes it can be easy to kind of get away from the brand as a whole. And I think you do a nice job of keeping everything within that same sort of brand like that. Was that a conscious decision that you made? Or once you kind of got rolling, you're like, wait a minute, this kind of applies. Well, I mean, I started before, um, I started a long time ago, before I came up with this idea. Um, I came up with this idea that, you know, the book kind of came first uh, because I decided that I needed to walk the talk, you know, I needed to to actually um, learn what I was what I was teaching the best, and the best way to do that was to kind of not force myself, but you know, uh, write this book and and record my own sessions so that I could listen to them, so that I could benefit from them, you know, and also make them accessible to a lot of other people beside my one-on-one clients. And then from then on, I thought, mm, okay, um, what else can I do? And and I started um, doing the, the podcast. Now, the podcast is kind of parked at the moment because it became too much for one person. It became overwhelming. And I decided that, although I really loved doing it because I was um, very much connecting with a lot of other musicians in, all around the world, and that was great, um, it was also taking so much of my time that I wasn't, I didn't really have enough time for my music, and I thought, well, you know, that's non-negotiable. I need to, I need to uh, dedicate my time to my music because that's that feeds my soul, and if I don't have that, then I can't really, I don't have much to give. So then I decided to, you know, to focus more on that, and and then it just happened to fit with everything else that I was interested in. You know, uh, there because I also help people with creativity and songwriting, and I was like, oh, there to create, oh, there to create, oh, there to, <laughs> there to do this, there to do that, <laughs> and it's all about really being courageous enough to, to to express yourself. You know, to shine, to, to to say, hey, here I am. There's nothing to be ashamed of here. In fact, quite the opposite. Now you touched on this that you parked the podcast to focus on your music, and you've released twelve albums, which is astounding that's so it's so many songs so how has your music writing process kind of evolved over the years and kind of along those same lines how have you marketed music like how is how has that changed since your from your first album to your most current one okay so i have changed quite a lot when i started writing music it was all hit and miss i didn't know what i was doing i was all very in intuitive like oh you know I just want to write a song because I started writing poetry that was the, the first kind of love and then I got into music afterwards and uh, was doing poetry and storytelling and then I thought oh you know if I could tell a story through music it would be even better 
but I didn't study it for a long time. I I just kind of thought, oh, it just comes, you know, whenever whenever I'm inspired. But then that started to change. And that also started to change after the first 10 years, because the first 10 years I was writing a lot about myself, my internal struggle, lots of you know, relationship travel and, and problems with my own mental health and all of that. And then things changed. I got better. And um, I started thinking, oh, you know, this is boring. I want Not that it was boring, but I got bored. And I thought, oh, you know what? I want to write about other people. I want to write about other things. I don't, I don't only want to write about love, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with writing about love. Of course not. But I thought, hmm, I want to expand. And then I started, I got a bit stuck as well. And I was like always using the same chords. I was playing guitar, always the same thing. And I thought, oh, you know, this is not, it's like painting with three colors, you know, like always yellow, blue, and red, yellow, blue, and red. Yeah, okay, it's interesting. But now, can we do something else, please? So I got to that wall. And that's when I decided to uh, start studying music and I got interested in Berkeley School of Music, which for a long time was like the holy grail. I was like, oh, one day, the Berkeley School of Music, oh, one day, but not for me because I'm not good enough. And then it was crazy. And then, then finally, I did. I started studying with them, and I thought, what was I thinking? What? This is totally me. This is completely what I needed, and it inspired me so much, and I learned so much, and. And then I realized, oh, there's oh, there's so many other colors I can use, and there's an infinite amount of possibilities, and so that really helped. Um, but then also I, I also got stuck again at another point because I started, you know, thinking, oh, everything that I do needs to be perfect, and and that's terrible. That's a terrible thing to say to yourself. It will stop you from creating if you think that way. So then I started reading books uh, about this particular problem and uh, what to do. And, and what I've come across is this idea of letting go completely of being a good writer or a good anything and, and radical self-acceptance, basically, and being like, you know what, there are no, there's no such things really as mistakes or bad notes or, you know, maybe I should try to write a bad song because if I do, I'm sure I won't be able to, you know, it's, it's when you intentionally try to do something badly that you can't because you just can't, you know, it just comes out. Um, but there's no more pressure. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. So I started learning and I'm still learning how to accept whatever I do and, and to feed my mind in a positive way to really relax and, and allow things to emerge. And then later I can decide. In the editing process, okay, this song is makes the cut. This song doesn't, you know, this song needs some polishing and changing. This, you know, I'm less precious about it. So that's that's changed um, quite a bit. And now I do a lot of writing every day, like you know, just object writing. No pressure to write anything amazing, but that's a good way to to um, use the muscle, you know, to make yourself the creative muscle stronger. Um, so that's you know answer to question number one question number two which is uh, was about promotion haha <laughs> i am terrible at promotion i <laughs> i uh, that's one thing i haven't figured out yet i i think my problem was when i was younger i was quite insecure i thought 
oh yeah, no, I'm totally, you know, who am I to promote myself or whatever, you know, silly, this is a really bad mindset. So I did it and, and I also thought on the other hand that I was so brilliant, I didn't need to promote myself. That someone will will find me, you know, and then, and I think a lot of people think like this, like, oh, I'm so amazing. Like, oh, it will just do a great album and people will find you. It's like, yeah, it doesn't quite work like that. And then I got resentful of like, oh, well, well, if this is not working, it means that I'm not good enough, you know? And, and then I thought, oh, oh, I have to work that hard to promote it. Oh God, I can't be bothered. You know, I'm an artist. So I should just do art. And, and so all of this, um, that doesn't help, you know, the really negative mindset. So then I thought, you know what? Um, I kind of gave it up. I thought, I actually, you know, why do I need to promote my music? What I really want is for people to relate to the music that I make and to say um, I want them to to hear whatever the message is and, and to touch them. You know, I want to build bridges, okay? So that should be my motivation, not some ego thing of, oh, I want applause and I want people to tell me how great I am, you know? Because if, if, I'm, going, if I'm coming from that perspective, then it isn't going to work. Uh, so, so then, I, so at the stage I'm in, I kind of gave up the ego thing, and I have decided that for a while, I'll focus on just making the music, and feeling comfortable performing and giving as much as myself, um, and and learning more and becoming, you know, really mastering the the music and recording and the performing, and then you know when I'm comfortable with that. I think it's going to be easier to promote myself because I'll be relaxed about it. There won't be pressure. And so then we'll see. Um, Long-winded answer. (laughs) (laughs) And with all that music, you've done a lot of live shows with that as well. I always love to ask musicians this. What's your worst gig? Oh, it's easy. The worst gig was um, this one time that I was struggling with performance anxiety and I thought, oh, you know what, I'll just get drunk. Yeah, not a good idea. I don't even drink like that much at all. So it's not easy. It's not difficult to get. Drunk. Just need a couple of glasses of wine. There you go. So I had <laughs> I had this couple of glasses of wine, went on stage, uh, start performing. And then right in the middle of a song, I had the thought, Ooh, what if I don't remember the next line? And I didn't remember it, of course, because that's an affirmation, that's an a suggestion, right? So I completely blanked out and forgot the entirety of the rest of the song. It was just gone. And I blocked, I got blocked in the middle and froze like a rabbit in the headlights and was like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> and then I ran away out of the, you know, of the venue. I was like, oh God, I've never played again. This is a proof that I don't know what it takes and all of that, right? <laughs> Whereas these days, if that happens, it just pops off. It's like, uh, whatever, you know, welcome to being human. Yeah, I always like to say in, in those situations, especially if it's an original song, you can kind of pass it off as like, well, if the people have never heard this song before, then they'll just think that's what it was. And if they have heard it, they'll be like, oh, this is kind of like a, you know, a little twist on it, like a live version. Forgetting the words part, I'll, I'll give a shout out. There's a great Austin show here that's called Jimmy Wednesday. That's the first Wednesday of every month, and people come in and play a lot of 
uh, covers from the you know the early 2000s and it's just a delightful little throwback nostalgia and one time we uh, our band did the song scotty doesn't know by lustra from the movie euro trip it's a real real uh, niche hit but i think if you were alive in america at a certain time you really know that song and as the song's starting our singer who normally sings turns to me and he's like hey I'll play guitar for this song. Do you want to sing it? And I was like, no, I like, I don't know the words that well. And then our other guitarist had already started playing though. So we did this quick little switch. I took the microphone and I was just like, I outside of the very like first couple of lines, couldn't tell you the rest of the words to that oh, song. No. And it quite the uh, repetitive performance. Cause I just kept repeating the chorus and thankfully it is kind of a repetitive song at the end. So that I think eventually people were like, all right, well he doesn't know the words. So we're just going with it. And then the song mercifully ended and we moved on. <laughs> God, just while you were speaking, I remembered another really bad gig. I don't know if I should tell you. Oh man, um, maybe then after I'll tell you the, the best gig. But yeah, the, the worst, uh, I think another one was really bad was that uh, I was in New Zealand at the time, it was a really, really long time ago. And um, and I basically drove 12 hours to get to this gig while having a really bad cold. So I was feeling terrible. Got there and my manager at the time had completely forgotten to promote the show. Like, just didn't, you know. So got to the venue, you know, with a horrible cold, did not want to do it anyway. And the only people there was me, my boyfriend, and my manager. And and after driving 12 hours as well, I was exhausted. But I decided that I was going to do it anyway. Because, you know, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So I did it. Yeah, I just thought this is going to be a rehearsal. You know, that's, that's how I always see it. If, if something is not quite up to par. It's like, well, even if it's just one person, well, I'll give them everything I got, you know? Because that one person, if there is one person there, I've got to give them 100%. And if there's no one, I'll give me 100%. Exactly, yeah. Someone's getting 100%. And it's, <laughs> it's glorious. <laughs> Another question I always like to ask is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And I think you've touched on this a little bit, but for for people who are maybe tuning in mid-podcast, I don't know who does that, but I'm sure there are people who do that. So the question that you wish you were asked more frequently, why do I keep getting what I don't want? Yeah, because you keep imagining what you don't want. You keep focusing on what you don't want. That's why. So focus on what you want and you'll get what you want. Focus on what you don't want and you'll get what you don't want. Really as simple as that. Fantastic. And segues very nicely into our top three, because when you focus on what you want, I think a great way to do that is with personal growth mantras. And I'd love to hear your top three. Yeah, my top three are simple. Uh, the first one is uh, you are good enough, just as you are. Uh, the second one is you belong. And the third one is no matter what happens, you'll be okay. And these are my, my personal favorites. Yes, love, love them all. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast and chatting. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you. And um, before you let me go, I just wanted to say that um, if anyone wants to uh, take advantage of it, I just made uh, available to the listeners of the post- this podcast a free book. Um, so if you want to grab yourself a copy of my book there to be seen, um, you can. 
And you can just go to my website, which is elisadinapoli.com slash good people, all together, good people. Love that branded URL. We'll drop it in the show notes so people can get there super easily. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you again. And of course, we've got to end with a corny joke as we always do. And I tried to keep it topical uh, with the the music performance type of thing. I actually saw a concert recently. It was Barbershop Quartet, but the falsetto singer died mid-performance. But it's okay. At least he went out on a high note. (laughs) Get after it today, people. (laughs) I should also clarify, no one actually died at the last show. (laughs) Uh, Priceless. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.